worship you, I live, oh Lord. To worship you, I live. I live to worship you. Can you say that one more time? Uh, to worship you, to worship you, I live. To worship you, I live, I live. To worship you. Say it again. To worship you, I live. To worship you, I live, I live. Father, thank you that we can worship you. And Father, as you've expanded us in our thought about worship, we pray that you would let the entrance of your word bring light and understanding to the soul today. Father, how shall young men cleanse their ways except for by taking heed unto your word? Your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. The entrance of your word brings light. So let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. Lord, our strength and our redeemer, we give you thanksgiving for all that you are, for everything that you do. In Jesus' name. And everyone say it. Amen. Amen. All right. Praise God. Hallelujah. Show your appreciation for Sister Allen. Amen. Nia Allen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. Always appreciative of people who know how to walk in the most holy place and behave themselves in the house of God. And so we just thank the Lord. Once again, I'll direct your attention tonight as we continue our journey in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And I would like to have you direct your attention to verse number 3. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse number 3 tonight. It says, therefore, hear, O Israel, 6-3. And be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, that you may multiply as the Lord our God, as the Lord God of our fathers has promised in the land which is flowing with milk and honey. Deuteronomy 6.4 goes on to say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one And notice verse 5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Therefore, hear, O Israel, verse number 3, he says, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you. We started off Sunday talking about how God wants to build community, and that's been our theme. And we said that God wants to build community because in verse 3 it says, because that it may be well with all. 
God wants it to go well with all of his people. And in this text on the Shema, the here, here he says, here, O Israel, I want it to go well with all. And then he says, here, O Israel, the Lord, our God is one. Then he says our appropriate response to knowing that we worship this one true and living and great God is to love the Lord, our God, with all of our heart, all of our soul and all of our strength. That's called worship. God this time speaks not so much to individuals as we've seen him speak to this point. He spoke to Adam. He spoke to Noah. He spoke to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph and Moses. But those were individuals. But this time God comes and he speaks to the community. And we believe this week God's been speaking to the community of faith here, Faith Christian Center and the other churches that have gathered themselves together. And we just so appreciate the other pastors that are both in our network and also those who have gathered from around the region to come and to hear what God is saying to the church. God not only speaks to the community, but he tells the community, this is the way I want the community to function, that he sets up three systems, a sacred system to pass on the values that he wants to the next generation. And he charges parents diligently as we have uh, this week to teach these values, these worldviews, and also these beliefs to your children and to your children's children. Talk about them when you rise up and when you lie down, when you set in the way and when you go out and when you come in. The religious or the sacred system is to pass on the values from one generation. And friends, there's a slippage going on in our country, especially where it seems like the next generation just is not embracing the values of our faith, but they're being Americanized. And friends, America is slipping, but God says that there should be a community inside of the community that is passing on that value. He then establishes a governmental system that is to be free judges and officials from bribes and partiality and rule with just judgment. God sets in an economic system in his community that is over and against debt, but is for forgiveness of debt. And also he sets in a system whereby you would look after, we would look after the needs of the poor and the needy. And he calls that doing justice in the community and make sure that there's a fair and equal distribution of his goods and services, even to those that are in need. God then calls in Deuteronomy prophets. And prophets were to hold these systems accountable because in a corrupt world we live in because of Genesis chapter 3, sometimes systems will get out of hand. And so when the sacred system gets out of hand and the governmental system gets out of hand and also the economic system gets out of hand, those systems described in Deuteronomy 10, Deuteronomy 16, and Deuteronomy 6, then he says then the prophets were to call them into alignment with God. You see, to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our strength is to love God. We love God not only with our song, but we also love him with our life. And as we begin to love up on God, our love should spill over from the sanctuary into the community. You see, we see a community being formed called the church in Acts chapter 2. And if you'll join me there, and we'd like to explore just some thoughts tonight, not only in the Old Testament as a reflection, but also in the New Testament as a reality. And, 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 and the power of Pentecost 50 days after Passover uh, was that the Holy Ghost came. And the significance of Pentecost was that the church was formed. And the effectiveness of Pentecost was everyone heard in their own language. And in, and in Acts chapter 2, and if you'll find 
verse number 42, after they were filled with the Holy Ghost, this community of believers that was about 120 people in an upper room went spilling out into the streets, speaking in other tongues. And it set such a commotion in the city that people began to ask, what's going on here? Are these people full of new wine? And they say, no, not, they're not drunk as you suppose. This is that which a prophet Joel spoke, that in the last days he will pour out of his spirit upon all flesh. Sons and daughters shall prophesy. Old men will dream dreams. Young men will see visions. And upon my handmaidens and manservants, where I pour out of my spirit and they baptize 3,000 souls. How would you like to open the church in the first day of the church? 3,120 people were there at the end of the day. And they baptized 3,000 people. And then the text says in verse number 42 of that text, it says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, building this community and in fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. And great fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. They're living out this whole Shema that we're building community now. And all who believe were together. And they had all things in common. We said community is common unity. And they sold their possessions and their goods and divided them among all as any had need. They had an economic program to meet the needs of those who had needs in the community. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from House to house, they ate their food, gladness and simplicity of heart. Notice verse 47, praising God. They were involved in passionate worship and thanksgiving and praise towards God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those that were being saved. Here we see some components of this new community that rises up. We're now some time away from about 1400 BC from, from Moses now, uh, where we're now some time away from about 700 BC from Moses now. Now we've moved into the era of the New Testament about 30 AD. And now we see a new community being formed and it says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles doctrine and fellowship and breaking the bread and in prayers. I believe that these are components of the new community at a very high level. One of the things that we need to do to build community is meet together. We need to start getting to know one another again. I mean, listen, we're coming into the last day, saints. And if, and, if, and if Peter prophesied in 30 AD that these are the last days, then if we're in 2015 and there's some great movements called the, uh, the uh, 2000 year anniversary, there's a lot of 2030 goals being set for the church globally. They're saying, what can the church really accomplish from 30 A.D. to 2030, 2,000 years? So there's a lot of churches globally, I'm talking to global leaders, that are saying the 2030 goal, what can we do to make sure that there's scriptures in every language by 2030? What can we do to make sure that every nation has had the gospel preached to it? For this gospel of the kingdom must be preached to the nations, and then the the end will come. And if a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day, what can we do in this last part of these latter days, the second day of the Lord, to see the gospel preached? If he ascended on high in 30 AD, 
What should we do on the last leg of this race? Let's not drop the baton on our watch. You see, as you come into the last days, the world is going to become more hostile. It will become darker. But listen, the word also says something contradictory is going to happen. It's attention. While it's getting darker, the path of the righteous is going to get brighter and brighter. Where it seems like sin does abound, grace is going to much more abound. And so there's this tension between gross darkness and great light. There's this tension between sin and between light. And as we build community, we need to begin to meet together and know one another because pretty soon all you're going to have is, is the church and God. You're going to have God and each other. Listen, listen, the world don't like you. The devil wants to kill you. So pretty soon all you're going to have is God and each other. And if that be true, we need to do what they did. They were meeting together. They continually were steadfast in the apostles doctrine. They were learning together. They were learning and to learn. You must be taught. Look at your neighbor and tell them everything, you know, you've been taught. Tell them, but you don't know everything. And they were continuing in the apostles doctrine. Everything we know we've been taught, but we've not been taught everything. And we sure don't know everything. So they remain teachable. They were also fellowshipping. And in our church, I say, what does fellowship mean? They say, fellows in the same ship. <laughs> the word is koinonia. They were sharing things in common. And we need to get back to shared life again. Amen. Where we are fellowshipping together. And fellowship, many times we have great ecumenical services. And we have great corporate services together. But fellowship is when you go out to a restaurant, go out to Dunkin' Donuts, go out to Starbucks, go out to a coffee or a tea shop, go out somewhere and you sit down and you might talk about things that are non-churchy stuff. And you and I, we begin to get to know each other, learn people's stories. There's all kinds of miracles through Faith Christian Center. The challenge is we don't get a chance to hear all of those. The Wednesday night before Thanksgiving, usually I'll get up and after worship, I'll stick a microphone right in the front of the podium and set it on the floor. And I'll say, it's Thanksgiving time. And I'll say, this is not a time to preach to folks and prophesy to folks. Just come up and give us a testimony. And a testimony is just tell us something good that God's done in your life. And when we get finished testifying, folks are running and jumping and shouting and praising God because they say, I didn't know you went through that. I didn't know you overcame that. I didn't know that that was your condition. Some people said, now I know the way you, the reason you act the way you act in worship. (laughs) And we need to get back to fellowshipping again. Some people, you don't understand the way they praise because you don't know what they've been through. And when the Lord turned again to captivity of Zion, we were like a tale that was told. And friends fellowshipping together. They were sharing communion together. And I believe that this first measure of breaking of bread, continuing in the apostle doctrine and fellowship, and then the breaking of bread was actually a a terminology that was used synonymous with the communion table. They were communing around the body and the blood of the Lord, the uniting factor and the Eucharist, that good thing, that grateful thing that unites us together. Thank you, Jesus, for shedding your blood. And thank you, Lord, for binding us together as one body in Christ. You know, this first early community, as a part of their worship ritual, they were praying together. And I believe it's one thing to pray individual, but it's another thing to pray together. 
And friends, I love it when now I'm starting to see people at the end of services where we don't have to have a lot of prayer lines, but people are praying for one another's needs. Laying hands on one another, ministering grace to one another. And those prayers carries outside the sanctuary. Not only were they doing that, but then in verse number 43, it says, And great fear came upon them, and wonders and signs were done through the apostles. I put on that one that they were encountering God together. And friends, it wasn't some big guy like Peter and and the apostles, although they were there, but together they were encountering God. Great fear came on them. They stood in awe of God and they were saying, don't anybody interrupt the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Don't anyone interrupt the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. For Psalm 133 says, it's good and it's pleasant for brethren together, dwell together in unity. It says it's like two things. It's like dew, like water that comes down and refreshes. And it's like oil that comes down from the head all the way to the skirt of the garment. And if you want to receive a refreshing of the Lord, let everybody come together and encounter God together. And it will be a refreshing and an anointing that will come corporately on everybody. Verse 43, it also says that every soul, great fear came upon it. Wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. They were believing God together. And they were caring for each other together because verse 44 and 46 says this. It says, for all who believe were together. They were believing together and acting together. And they were on one accord, spoke the same thing, saw the same thing. And they had all things in common. You know what they did? They found that there were needs. And when somebody found that there was need, somebody would say, hey, listen, I don't have the money to meet that need, but I got a flat screen TV I can go sell. And they would go sell their flat screen TV and meet that need. Some people say, well, they just sold everything and brought it together. Well, some people did. But others just said as a need came up, they were just meeting the need. They were just meeting the need. As the text says, as needs came up, they were meeting needs of one another. And I believe that more needs will be met in the kingdom of God as we fellowship together and share life together. And as we hear of a need, many times we don't need to say call Faith Christian Center. You and I, we can meet that need. We had some families that were burned out in our house, in in our church, burned out their house, burned down. In fact, the man used to be an elder at our church and he was preaching on the fire of God one night. And at the end of his sermon, he said, let the fire fall, let the fire fall, let the fire fall. Came home, his house was on fire. I said, you made the devil real mad, man. But before the end of the week, one lady had a house she was trying to lease. They had a new, they had a new home that had just been newly renovated. Called on the saints of God and blankets and sheets and pots and pans and children's clothes all came in because you never know what's out here in the body. And they were sharing life together. You see, all were believed and they had all things in common and they sold their possessions as they had need and they divided among themselves. As any had need, they gathered together publicly and privately because continuing daily, verse 46 says, with one accord in the temple and breaking the bread from house to house. I believe that this second breaking of bread is symbolic of them sharing meals together. And they were doing two things, public worship and private worship. And there's some parts of our kingdom right now who have all opted for small group worship, but there's no context of public worship. And then there are some people that come to public worship, but they have no small group context. I believe in public worship, we get inspired. We get a chance to grab hold and become a vision, parts of vision bigger than ourselves. Public worship is important because it announces to the community, God is in the community. 
See, when 9-11 happened, when people don't know which way to go, you know what? 9-11, after that happened in New York, the church that was the largest church attendance up until that time in that decade. Because when people are overwhelmed and they don't know what's going on, what did they do but come to the church? Public worship is important. But I'll tell you, disciples are formed and forged in the context of small groups, small classes, small ministries where we labor together, small groups where we meet together and pray together and express our spiritual gifts together and bear our fruit together. And they were meeting both publicly and from house to house. And Acts 2020, I call it 2020 vision. Even Paul said, when I went among the Gentiles, he said, man, I didn't, I shared not to declare to you the whole counsel of God ministering to you publicly and from house to house. And so there is a real value to public meetings and the private meetings. And as they built community, they continued on again. They were getting active in the community because as they began to do that, they were breaking bread with one another and they continued daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness, single of heart. And then notice verse 47. It says they were praising God and having favor with all the people. See what this community did was they got active, not only in the public gatherings, in the small group gatherings, but they got active in the community. And friends, if we want to build community, not only the community of our church, but also impact the communities that we come from, we must get active in the community again. You see, when we get active in the community, become love and light and life in the community, people see Jesus. And friends, people, they're crying and they're saying, you know, I don't want to organize religion. They said, but I want to see Jesus. I want to know Jesus. A lot of curiosity about Jesus. And if you and I become light and love and life in the community, we can get active together. You see, praising God in the sanctuary is one thing. And I believe in corporate praise. I believe that we ought to give thanks unto the Lord because he is good and his mercy endures forever. I believe that we ought to come and praise the Lord. And I believe that our praise ought to be magnification of the Lord. I believe we ought to praise God in the sanctuary. We ought to magnify him. Every now and then in our sanctuary, praise gets a little bit too quiet. And I said, now let's make a joyful noise unto the Lord. And I believe we ought to magnify the Lord, make him larger than every circumstance, every situation, every event, every condition. Psalm 34, verse number three, it says 34, three, oh, magnify the Lord and let us exalt his name together. When I turned 50, I started wearing glasses. They put a bifocal on these glasses because they told me your sight is good far away. But when you read, it needs to be magnified some, you know, a magnification, a bifocal really doesn't enlarge the print. It helps me to see it better. I remember one Sunday I was struggling to read my Bible and I kept pushing it out further and further. When I got home, my wife said, give it to me. I'll hold it on the front row for you. She said, you need to go get your eyes shut. And friends, the print on a bifocal, listen to me. It doesn't really change the size of print, but it enlarges it to the person that's reading. That's what magnifying the Lord does. It really doesn't change who God is. It just causes me to see him bigger. And in the context of public worship, I see him bigger than my disease, bigger than my diagnosis, bigger than my financial problem, bigger than that. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. 
When we exalt the Lord, we lift him up. And the word exalt the Lord just simply means that we ought to lift him up and raise him as someone important. And I like to say the name during worship sometimes. It's all right to say Lord. It's all right to say God. It's all right to say Jehovah. It's all right to say Yahweh. But every now and then I need to say Jesus. Because, you know, Allah people, people that quote Allah, they're not ashamed. People that grow Buddha, they're not ashamed. People that grow Krishna, they're not ashamed. We ought not be ashamed of the name, therefore there's no other name given under heaven, whereby men must be saved. Except for the name of Jesus, magnify the Lord and let us exalt his name together. I believe that our worship ought to be magnification and exaltation, but I believe it also ought to be adoration. You see, Psalm 118, verse number one says, I will love thee, O Lord, my God. And Deuteronomy chapter six and verse number four and five says, I will love the Lord, love the Lord your God with all your strength. And David comes back in 18, one says, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength for the Lord is my rock. He's my fortress. Then he goes on to say, he's my deliverer. He's my God. He's my strength in him. I will trust. He said, he's a horn of my salvation. He's my high tower. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be safe from the enemy. David said, I've been with the Lord long enough that I've had some journey with the Lord. And he said, man, I found out he's been my rock, man. My foot would have slipped, but he was my stay. He said, he's been my forester. Sometime I was under attack by Saul and by his armies, but the Lord protected me. He's been my deliverer. Sometime David would say, I got delivered out of the paw of the enemy. That was out of Saul's hand. He said, he's my God. He's my Elohim. Elohim is the one that can step out on nothing and create something. He is my strength. The strength of God is what you need when you're going through the wilderness. God's power brings you out of Egypt, but God's strength keeps you in the wilderness. And when you're going through desert places, it is his strength that keeps you with endurance. He says, in whom I will trust. He's my buckler. He's the one that becomes my shield, the thing that bounces off the fiery darts at the end when he throws at me. He's the horn of my salvation. He's the one that sounds a call to war. He's my high tower. He's the one that I can go up in and get a different perspective on what's going on. And I will call upon his name. My worship must be magnification and exaltation and adoration. And I adore him. Very much for someone who, who he is. My worship must be also admiration. And I admire him. You see Psalm 63, 3, 66, 3 says, say to the Lord, how awesome are you, Lord? How awesome are your works through thy greatness of their power? Your enemies shall submit themselves to you. How awesome are you, Lord? We sing a lot of songs in our kingdom now. How great is our God? I always listen to tracks and themes that God is releasing in the kingdom. And there's a lot of songs about the awesomeness of God and the greatness of God. And usually God does not come with a divine emphasis in worship of that kind of uh, of that kind of theme unless we're going to need him as an awesome and a great God. An awesome God means that there's nothing too hard for him, nothing impossible with him, nothing too difficult with him. The awesomeness of God is found out by Jeremiah when he says, ah, Lord God, thou has made the heavens and the earth by thy great power. And there is nothing too hard for you. And when there's themes that come out that speak of the awesomeness and the greatness of God, you and I know that we're going into a season that we not only need to know the goodness of God, but the greatness of God. And the greatness of God is when you and I know of a reality. My God can do anything. If they throw me in a fiery furnace, he can steal the flames. If they throw me in a den of lions, he can shut the lion's mouth. If they bring me to a red sea, he can split the sea. 
If they threaten my life, I can walk through the midst of them. He's a great God. My worship must be magnification, exaltation, adoration, admiration. But worship also ought to be celebration. We ought to celebrate the Lord. And that means just to throw a party. And to celebrate just simply means to say and that something is great as important. You see, Psalm 96, verse number four, said that the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. And he should be feared among all. But you know what else worship is? Not only is it magnification, exaltation, adoration, admiration, celebration in Psalm 96, 4, but also it is proclamation. You see, proclamation says I ought to make an official statement. And Psalm 107 says, oh, give thanks unto the Lord for it is he is good for his mercy endures forever. Pastor John just quoted that. Then it says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I believe that God's people been silent too long. And I believe it's time for us to say so. Stop staying silent and stand up and say something. And friends, when the redeemed of the Lord begins to say so, the world will experience the light, love, and life of God. But friends, even though our worship is magnification, exaltation, adoration, admiration, celebration, and proclamation, if our worship does not move outside the sanctuary, it has not yet fulfilled the purpose of God. Look at me in Amos chapter 5 now tonight. Because in Amos chapter 5, there was a time when Israel had all of those components of our worship in place. But then they were looking over the weightier matters of worship. And that was community worship. And Amos noticed in his day as he prophesied, Amos speaks to the capital of Israel. It's called Samaria. And as he speaks to the capital of Israel, Samaria, that we looked at, Philip went to Samaria last night. In Amos chapter 5, verse number 21 God says that they were going through all the activity of worship and all the expressions of worship. But God began to say, but you are lacking something and I want all of the music to stop. There's a day when God told Israel, stop the music. Amos chapter five and verse number 21. He says, I hate and despise your feast days. But God, you commanded us to do the feast days. I do not savor your sacred assemblies, but God, you told us to assemble together. Through your, though you offer burnt offerings, those are voluntary offerings and grain offerings. I will not accept them nor regard them. Your fatted peace offerings. God says, take away from me the noise of your songs. For I will not hear the melody of your stringed instruments. But then God says, here's what you're lacking. Let justice roll down like a river and righteousness like a mighty stream. You see, worship is multidimensional and there's worship not only in the sanctuary, praise God in the sanctuary, but there's also worship in the firmament of his power. And you see, worship must reach also to lift up the community. What does community worship look like? Community worship is when you and I go out and we not only worship in the sanctuary, but we go out in the community and try to change our world and lift up the community. You see, worship is more than music and movement and messages and, and, and manifestation. There is a day when the Lord says, stop all the music, stop all the celebration because you're missing something. And this prophet calls him to that. 
He says, singing lifts up my name, but listen, justice lifts up the community. And I found out that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ has begun to now move more into mercy and compassion ministries. But God is saying now the third dimension is justice. You see, mercy identifies with somebody in their pain. Somebody's in pain and I stop and I see them in pain and I identify with them. Then that's mercy. And I say, I've been there before. And many of us, when we go and talk to people, we say, I've been, I sat where you sat. I've shared tears where you're sharing tears. That identifies, mercy identifies with somebody in their pain. But compassion lifts people up out of their pain. Compassion is what the good Samaritan did on the road when he picked up that person, put them on his animal and checked them into the end. But you know what justice does? Justice says, why is this pain in our community? Justice looks and say, are there reasonable solutions to this pain? Justice asks the question, why does this condition exist in our community? Justice asks, what systems are the root causes? Because I believe that sin is not only personal, but it can also be community. There can be community sins and institutional sins and corporate sins. And you know what justice does? Justice says, what kind of systemic systems are in place and roots that cause this community problem to exist. Justice seeks and it researches to find out are there solutions to solve this problem. Has God spoken? And should we intervene? And you know what? Justice confronts in, uh, institutional evil. And in the day of Amos in Samaria, they were oppressing the poor, the oppressed, the widow and the orphans. Isaiah says, man, justice had turned away backwards uh, in Isaiah 59. Listen, when we read Ezekiel 22, he says, man, no one was seeking justice. And he said, and the Lord says, and I saw for someone, the Lord requires us to move into the community. We discovered in our community back home that youth were being sent to jail for nonviolent crimes. Found out that somebody could steal a lawnmower and they got locked up in juvenile detention. Nonviolent crimes. Found out somebody could do something like shoplifting. Got sent to juvenile detention. We found out that there was a pipeline from, from our youth to the jails. Because when you send a youth that does a nonviolent grind to jail, when he comes out, he's not rehabilitated. He's just a hardened criminal. And we begin to ask, is there another way to deal with nonviolent crimes among youth? When we begin to ask that question, we looked in some other communities and we found out in other communities that there was what was called restorative justice going on. And restorative justice was kind of interesting because what it says is we don't want to build a pipeline from the schools to the jail. We want to divert some of these youth to other kind of programs where we can help save some of our youth rather than incarcerate them. You see, with the privatization of jails that are going on around the United States, jail is now becoming a business. When something becomes a business, it's different than something that is missional nonprofit. When something is a business, you have to satisfy the shareholders and the owners, and it has to show a profit margin at the end of the year. The bottom line is the bottom line. And if your jails become business for profit, then they also have to have a steady clientele coming in. And we said, is it just to send youth? We found a youth that stole a lawnmower. 
And we found out in certain communities they have restorative justice systems where if I stole your lawnmower, you come and you sit down with me. We have a court magistrate. And then the youth sits down with their parents. And the person tells them, when you stole my lawnmower, I had to take my gas money and buy the lawnmower so my grass wouldn't grow up and I got a fine for not cutting my grass. And it caused my whole budget to go out of line. And so then we asked the youth, what do you think about that? I'm sorry I stole your lawnmower. And the magistrate says, what do you want him to do? He says, here's what I want him to do. Every Two weeks from spring until the fall, I want him to come over and cut my lawn. And then I think I'll feel good if he rakes my leaves in the fall. And at the end of the day, I'll call it that we are now even. We call it restorative justice circles. And we were able to divert someone from that. Now, all the time this was going on, we were singing and shouting and lifting up God in the sanctuary. But the community, our youth were going to hell. And there's a day when God says, listen, stop all that. He says, man, you're singing, you're honoring feast days. He says, stop the music. He said, let justice roll down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. There's a day he told Judah, the northern kingdom, stop all of that and do justice. Look with me in Micah, Micah over there next to Amos. He's his neighbor. Lives next door. Okay. Go over there. You'll go right over there. He's right in the neighborhood. Keep going to the right. You'll find little small books and then you'll find Micah. Right over there. Yeah, go to the right. Some of y'all just leafing all over the place. Okay. Should have Jonah, Obadiah, some of those. Amos, Obadiah, Jonah. Study Jonah here a few years ago. Go to Micah. Chapter 6. Micah, talking about building community. And here's what's happening in the day of Micah, chapter 6 and verse number 6. They were then again worshiping God. They were doing exaltation, magnification, adoration, admiration, proclamation. And he says, with what, 6-6, Micah, with what shall I come before the Lord? Shall I bow myself before you? Shall I do dance and do posture and demonstrative kind of worship? He said, is that what the Lord is wanting? And I believe that there ought to be demonstration. I noticed because I do it myself, bow down before the Lord. It's a reasonable place of worship. He says, shall I come before the Lord with burnt offerings? Burnt offerings were, were offerings that were given voluntarily, not commanded. He said, with calves of a year old, that would be precious and valuable. He said, will the Lord be pleased with thousands of ram? In other words, should I give extravagant gifts? Is that what the Lord wants? Or 10,000 rivers of oil. Will the Lord really be pleased when the anointing flows from the platform all the way to the parking lot? He said, is that what God wants? Yes, more of the Holy Ghost. He says, shall I give my firstborn for my transgressions and the fruit of my body for my sins of my souls? He raised the question, is this what you want in worship, Lord? He then says, I have shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justly. Love mercy. And walk humbly with our God. And they're saying, man, can I lift up all of these things which are biblical burnt offerings, which are voluntary offerings, generous offerings, thousands of lands, anointing where people are falling over and getting healed in miracles. We praise God for that. But is that all the Lord requires of us? Precious gifts, firstborn. He said, if I need you to do justice, lift up, lift up the community. 
love, mercy, compassion. Do something with direct need to meet somebody's need and walk humbly with our God. In other words, after God uses you in the community, don't get so prideful and think that you did all of this. And God says that's what he requires. He said, well, that's all great Old Testament stuff. What, the, what, what does New Testament say? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> Look at me in Matthew 23, 23 now. One day Jesus comes out with a bunch of religious leaders. When I read the Bible uh, through the new, t- uh, through the, I was reading through the Gospels a few years ago. And the Lord stopped me when I was reading through the Gospel, Matthew 23. When I was reading through the Gospels, Jesus stopped me one morning when I was reading. I said, Lord Jesus, what does this really mean? And I was looking at an encounter between Jesus and some scribes and Pharisees. And Jesus said, every time you read through the New Testament during this season of reading through the Gospels, he said, every time I'm encountering scribes, Pharisees, Sadducees, and, uh, and he said, and uh, synagogue leaders, rulers of synagogues, he said, call that a leadership meeting. He said, every time I'm talking to my disciples, call that a leadership meeting and extract a leadership principle out of it. In Matthew 23, 23, you see a leadership meeting. And Jesus has now called out these leaders. In fact, he's in a public setting and he calls them out. And the tension is they have now their performances, man. They are performing religious stuff. They have their rituals. They have their clothes on. They have their offerings that they are being doing to be seen of men. And Jesus then confronts them and says, that's not the way my kingdom works. He says, I want my kingdom to be a community where everybody's welcome. He says, I don't want religion to get in the way and block the door from folks coming in to know my life, my love. And he says, and my light in the community. He then says in 23, 23 of Matthew, he says, woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. For he says, you tied the, the mint and the anise and the cumin and neglect the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy and faith. Now watch it, what he says about the tithe. He says, these you ought to have done, not to have left the others undone. Justice, mercy, and faith. Many times we are meticulous in tithing. Listen, these little herbs he mentions, he said, if you pick an herb and it's got 20 leaves off of it, you take one of those little leaves and tithe it. You are meticulous in your tithe. He said, but you're looking over the weightier matters of the law. I believe when churches become 20 and 30 years old, we ought to be ready to move into the weightier things of God. And the weightier things of God is not just lifting us up, but lifting up our community. Now, when you go out to lift up the community and we do justice and we ask the question, what does it look like if our community would look like the city of God? Where sacred systems and economic systems and governmental systems would all come together and will all work together. For the common good. So it could go good with all. What would that look like? You see after you hear Jesus talking to these group. In here. You'll understand why they crucified him. Because he tells them man you're blocking away. Rather than taking community worship. See most of us are picture of Jesus. That Jesus is just a pretty nice, nice guy. And that he walked around all the time. Don't forget the lamb. He's had the lamb, you know, always had that little lamb with him, you know. Don't forget the lamb. He's always just walking around, you know, looking up. <laughs> but Jesus comes into this leadership meeting in this text. And he says, man, your worship has to turn into something else. Matthew 23, go to verse 1, watch your screens. 
Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must obey them and do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for men to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted in the marketplaces and to have men call them rabbi. But you are not to be called rabbi. For you have only one master. And you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father. For you have one father. And he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called teachers. For you have one teacher. The Christ. The greatest among you will be your servant. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. Woe to you, blind guides! You say if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools! Which is greater? The gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift on it, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, which is greater? The gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, he who swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And he who swears by the temple swears by it and by the one who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by God's throne. And by the one who sits on it. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites!
You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. But you have neglected the more important matters of the law. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides! You strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee! First clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous. But on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our forefathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of the sin of your forefathers. You snakes! You brood of vipers! How will you escape being condemned to hell? Therefore, I am sending you prophets and wise men and teachers. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Others you will flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town. And so, upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on earth. From the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. I tell you the truth. All this will come upon this generation. Oh, Jerusalem.
you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as Anne gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Look. Your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I really believe that until you and I have really looked inside of our cups, and cleansed out all of the Americanization that we've had inside of our kingdom. That forbids us from going out and seeking not only our own good. Rugged individualism, free enterprise, manifest destiny, the right of the individual. That's America and that's good. But we're part of another kingdom where God wants to build a community. We can tie the mint and knees of cumin. But if we look over the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. If we haven't wept over our city, have we really worshipped? Amos said, man, we could do all of the things that the law demands as worship in community. But if justice doesn't roll down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream, have we really worshipped? Micah says, take away all of these things, anointing, lavish gifts, extravagant gifts. But if we don't do what the Lord requires of us, justice, mercy, faithfulness. Have we really worshipped? And in the text with some interruption, maybe by reading it ourselves tonight, rather than just listening, it penetrates us that we can worship in the sanctuary and do nothing in the community. And Jesus says, you're being play actors. That's a hypocrite. Someone is playing two roles, saying I love what God loves, but then I act like something else in the community. My model for leadership is the Lord Jesus Christ. I cry over my community. I call out to him over my community. I come into agreement with the prophetic word that's spoken over my community. It's going to be a faithful city, a, a strong city. God sent three voices one year to our city from Africa. And all of those men came to Africa, and all of them said the same thing. They said, I saw a vision, one from Nigeria, one from Kenya, and one from Mozambique of all places. And said, I saw a state in the shape of a shield in the United States. They came to New York, one of them did. I talked to him. He said, I came there and I supported. Do you know a state that's shaped in the shape of a shield? They said, yeah, Ohio. He said, I saw a fire coming out of the middle of that state that burned and caught the Ohio, whole region on fire. He asked that man, isn't it just like God? Do you know anybody there? He says, I know one pastor because I'm from Dayton, Ohio. 
And he came and gave us that prophetic word and God sent it. What has God said about this area? Because if you and I want to build community, we must come into agreement with what God has spoken for the community. And if we weep over our city and say, God, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I would have gathered you like a mother hen does her brood, but you would not. The tragedy of Jerusalem is that she was left desolate. In 70 AD, the Romans came in, tore down the temple brick by brick. The Jewish diaspora happened to spreading for the Jewish people all over the world. And until 1948, it was never heard from again. And he says, you'll be left desolate until you can say, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. God has us here on this watch. All we have is God and each other. Let's build community inside. And let's build community on the outside. You may be not be able to do everything, but you can do something in your community. Amen. Pastor Pegan, you and I, we talked about an issue that's going on in your city right now in the area of gambling. Man, if we can't stop, at least let them hear our voice. Right. Friends, when righteous stay silent, only the wicked are heard. And I want to pray tonight, and Pastor Ray, you could come, that our worship will go beyond the sanctuary. Jesus said that it'll go beyond the tithe and I believe in the tithe and generous offerings and the anointing. I believe and practice all of that. But if my worship doesn't go outside the sanctuary and lift up the community, I'm a hypocrite because I'm talking one thing in here and living something else out there. A hypocrite was someone that just had various masks and in the old Greek forms of acting, one person could pay multiple roles. They could have this face, put up another face, put up another face. And this is a time where you and I need to know that God needs some authentic Christians in the community. I want to pray that the anointing of the Holy Ghost will so charge you that maybe you'll flip and flop. I'll pray that some of you will go out to YouTube and look up Matthew 23 on YouTube because that little clip is on there. Okay. And maybe you'll hear it in English this time. Thanks, sound guys. Thanks, okay. Because I think reading it with the subtitles might have helped us tonight. And I heard some people reading it to somebody that maybe couldn't read. It's a tough chapter. Pastor John and I talked at that lunch. He said, what are you going to do with that? And I said, I'm not going to stroke the halos tonight. I'm going to challenge the people. Thank you. That as we approach Resurrection Sunday, because after Jesus talked to these guys, they said, we got to get him. We wonder why somebody took a lowly Jesus and crucified him. Because he talked straight truth to power. And said, look at what you've done to my worship. And this needs to change so that we can make an impact in our community. That's right. And if we can make an impact, man, the first century church, the book of Acts, it says they were praising God and having favor with all the people. I found out as our community, as our church got involved in our community, the community began to come and say, man, we want this church in the community. I said, a guy in the community doesn't need to go to church. I said, what would happen if Rama Christian Center shut down? He said, if you guys try to move out of this community, he said, I don't even go here. He said, I'm going to pull a picket and a protest. He said, my family has come and gotten help at this. He doesn't go to church, but he said, my family has come and got help. When my son was in trouble, your youth pastor prayed with him. 
we're making more of a difference than you really know. But I believe that the Lord requires more. Can we pray together tonight? Yes. Father, we see our Lord meeting with some leaders in the book of Matthew. And Father, he's saying that there's more that's needed, more that's necessary than we've ever seen before. And oh Lord God, we pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, Father, that our worship would exceed that of the scribes, the Pharisees, and all of those who were religious leaders. Lord God, tonight in Jesus' name, I pray in agreement with Amos and in agreement with the voice of Micah, in agreement with the voice of Christ, that we would go out and find, Father, some issue, not just for issue's sake, but that we believe that your spirit is causing us to speak to, to lift up the community. Father, we've done it in our state, Father, with payday lending where they were charging people 360% interest on loans, on checks that they were getting early. And if they miss a payment, it could go up to about 560%. God, we reduced that all the way down to 28%, which is still high. But God, because we said something, the least and the most vulnerable, Father, we're now given some relief. Father, in our lives, I want you to be glorified. And we're coming up on Resurrection Sunday where we last night said bring friends, relatives, associates, neighbors, and kids. But Father, we pray for our cities. We pray for our cities that they can say, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. God, we pray in Jesus' name that you'll do something mighty, that you'll do something strong. And Father, that while we tie the menthionese, the cumin, and Father, we thank you today that we will not look over the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You have shown us, O oh Lord, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God. So Father, let us have fairness in dealing in all of the systems, in our sacred system, in our economic system, our governmental system, and in our personal dealings with one another. Father, who is the kingdom? You took a child and set it in the midst of them and said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. Let us by childlike faith, Father, embrace this next level of challenge as a church. And finally, I pray, Father, that you'll give us strength and courage because when we speak the truth to power, it can be threatening and intimidating. But Father, let us have backbone and courage. And even as you told the man Joshua, you be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And Father, we'll take your strength and your courage and we will possess the land. We thank you for it now in Jesus' name.